Is abortion simply a woman's choice, a right to privacy, or murdering a baby? People are discovering that abortion is not birth control, but the murder of a baby. This is Bob Boyd. And Jerry Boyd. This is Issues in Education. Our guests include the infamous Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who helped make abortion legal in America, in whose clinic murdered 75,000 babies. Mark Spence is the Vice President of Outreach at Living Waters and Dean of the Online School of Biblical Evangelism. Mark Spence spoke with two young people on the street asking them about absolute moral values. So do people get to decide for themselves what is right and wrong? In, in some cases, what might be right for you might be wrong for the collective and vice versa. So. Like the golden rule, kind of. What is that golden rule? Treat others how you would like to be treated. I wouldn't want to be slapped in the face. I don't need to go around slapping other people in the face. That's really kind of the idea. Exactly. You and I, we agree that we should not be slapping people in the face. But somebody else comes along and says, well, I don't believe in that rule. And since I get to come up with my own rules, then I'm going to go around slapping people in the face. If he believes that, should we let him go and do that? No. I mean, there's consequences to your action. I'm not going to control somebody else's behavior in any way. I'm only going to control how I respond to it, and I'm not going to tell other people how they live their lives. It's really short-sighted to say that she won't control what other people do. In other words, she won't stop somebody from abusing or killing a child or raping a woman. So relative moral values teaches what may be right for you may be wrong for me and vice versa. So there's no absolutes. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Mark Spence is a Christian who tells them that he believes in biblical values, absolute truth. I'm a Christian. So I come from the position that the Bible is inspired. I do not believe that all roads lead to heaven. I was talking to some guy earlier, and he goes, I believe when I die, I turn into a penguin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, great. (laughs) Does he turn into a penguin, though, if he thinks that he turns into a penguin? I would come along and say, no, I don't think you turn into a penguin, but I think that you have the right to believe that. So I believe that if somebody's not a Christian when they die, they're going to go to hell because they've broken God's law. Am I wrong in my viewpoint? We don't have a right to tell you if you're wrong or right. That's not up to us. That's up to you. And if it makes you treat people with respect, then go for it. Yeah, I mean, people try to push their beliefs on other people's rights to their body or whatever they do. That person, yeah, that person needs to make their own decision. Other people's beliefs should not have power over other people's freedom, right? We shouldn't be able to harm other people. Right. The young man says that your freedom should not include harming other people. And then the subject of abortion is brought up by the young man who says that your opinion should not stop a woman from having an abortion, which is a contradiction since you're harming another person. In fact, you're killing another person. So, is a baby a person? Do you believe that it's a baby in the womb? Single cell is a single cell, right? It doesn't have a heartbeat potentially yet, so I don't know. At 21 days, it has a heartbeat. Okay, but it doesn't think yet, right? So it's like, when do you when when do you draw a line? Logic is eliminated by people who want to believe a lie. So if a person doesn't have a heartbeat or doesn't think, they aren't a person. So if a person is on a pacemaker or heart-lung machine or in a coma, they're defined out of being a person. That doesn't make sense. If the government protects eagles' eggs because they know baby eagles are inside then what's a baby in the womb, if not a human baby? The young lady is getting uncomfortable. She knows abortion is killing an innocent living baby. So she takes a defensive position and says, as a woman, you men have no right to tell her what she is to do with her body.
Well, as a woman, standing here with all men and you guys talking about my choice as a woman and my body, I, this is not, an unco- not a comfortable position for me to be. So the most important thing that we, and very traumatic thing that we as women have to go through, I, I don't feel comfortable. She says, my body, my choice. But her body doesn't have two hearts and four eyes and two brains. It's another body inside her. That's right. And so the question is, does a man have a right to talk about the killing of a baby? Do men have no right to talk about murder? Men make laws. Should that just be left to women to discuss and make laws? It doesn't make sense. If somebody's going to talk about homelessness, do I have to actually be homeless? Or if I want to have an opinion about war, do I need to be a general in the war? My body and my choices, specifically in my life, I wouldn't feel comfortable with four random men telling me what to do with that. We don't have a right to tell you if you're wrong or right. That's not up to us. It's up to you. It's all about respecting each other's opinions. Yeah. And do you feel like we're telling you what to do with your body? No, no, no. I'm just saying like it was just weird watching two men talk about abortion when I'm standing right here as a woman. It's a touchy subject for women to be listened to by men. And you're eliminating men from the equation and you're trying to get fathers and husbands out of the conversation. Think about it for a moment. If a father doesn't take care of their child, they're called a dead beat dad. But if a mother doesn't take care of the child, she's called pro-choice. And we herald her as a victor of feminism. Do you think a man should be able to have a say in any way, shape, or form about abortion? Of course. In the end, it's the woman's choice. In the end, okay. If your choices don't affect other people in a negative way, then go with it, believe it, do it, act it, great. But if you're going to put your choices and your decisions on somebody else, but even somebody as far away from you as a different gender and that's going to have a completely different experience and a different emotional scale completely, that crosses a boundary. Physical boundary, like this is my body, you can't get in here. So, Is it your body or is it inside of your body, right? Is it a separate DNA, different blood type? Because if it is your body, if you're pregnant with a male, well, then you're half male, half female. Or if you're pregnant with two male babies, twins, right, then you're more male than female. I'm not saying that I am the baby inside of me because that doesn't... It's in your body. Yeah. That's it. If I were to concede the point and say that she can do whatever she wants with her body, well, we still have another problem because we're not talking about her body. We're talking a body inside of her body, right? A cake does not become an oven because it's in the oven, right? You go hang out inside of a garage, it doesn't make you a car. We're talking about two separate human beings created in the image of God. I believe people should have the right to be able to swing their arms as much as they want. But the moment your fist or your elbow connects with someone, you break the law. Swing all you want, but don't touch someone. Do what you want with your body, but don't harm the baby inside of your body. It goes back to the idea of, are you harming? That Your fundamental position was that we should not harm anybody. I would say the ultimate harm would be killing someone right? If it's killing another human being. Do you know that it's a human being? Did you talk to the embryo? Did I talk to the embryo? That's your argument? That's your question? Okay, no, I I didn't talk to the embryo. But God talked to me through his word, the Bible, in Psalm 139. You know it 100% and it's on documentation and it's talked to you and it's had a full conversation. I would like to know that if you've known that. You don't really know. We're just here to be and we're here to be happy and I'm going to do what makes me feel best and I'm never going to harm anybody else. Unless it's a baby. (laughs) 
Right? It's not a baby. I'm not going to... According to the science, it is. Next time, before you start talking to people, especially women, if you're going to bring up the topic of abortion, tell the people before you start interviewing them, like, the topics. He brought it up. No, no, no. Just the topics of Christianity. Um, You didn't necessarily say that you were going to start attacking women for getting abortion. She feels attacked? I wonder how the pre-born baby feels in the womb when he or she is being dismembered. Asking me if I'm okay with killing a baby, it does feel a little bit attacked. Treat others how you would like to be treated. Treat others as you'd like them to be treated, unless, of course, that person is a baby. She feels that she's being attacked just by talking about abortion. Sounds like she's feeling guilty for having had an abortion. But there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Amen, there sure is. So the question becomes, is the unborn inside its mother a person? A baby person? If it's not a person, what is it? Dr. Bernard Nathanson says, yes, it is a person, and he knows. Dr. Bernard Nathanson operated the largest abortion clinic in the world, get this, killing 75,000 unborn babies, and he helped make abortion legal in America. He also aborted his own son. But after killing so many babies, Dr. Nathanson realized what abortion really is. Dr. Nathanson, with the advent of the ultrasound, could you see it wasn't just a clump of cells? It wasn't just ultrasound. It was electronic fetal heart monitoring. and Just a whole flood of technology hit us in the obstetrical field in the early 70s. And as a result of that technology, it really opened up a window into the womb for me and for others as well. But my reaction after several years of studying and doing clinical research was that this occupant of the uterus was a human being. So did you quit doing abortions? Oh, yeah. Quit doing my last abortion, I believe, was in 1978. I did see the video silent scream that you had made. It was powerful. And you had a big impact. I mean, it was because you wanted to do this that it was made, right? Yes, that's correct. The whole film rotates around or hinges on a seven-minute segment of ultrasound tape, which I was responsible for. You want to tell the listeners what happened in that video? Well, basically, you can see the whole abortion. That was the first time that anyone had ever witnessed what happens in the womb during an abortion. We just let the ultrasound, real-time ultrasound tape run, and you can see the baby being torn apart. First, the bag of water is broken, then the baby torn apart, the limbs flying off, and then you see the torso coming out. And then finally, the obstetrician goes in with a pair of steel instruments and crushes the skull and removes it. Well, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, it's powerful. It's not as powerful as Eclipse of Reason, our second video. That was even more powerful. That was done on a 19 and a half week pregnancy. Why is it that these videos showing what really happens in an abortion generate such strong, vociferous reaction from the pro-abortion community? Well, because they... They have nothing to counter with, don't you understand? I mean, when I first made the silent scream, it was a huge upward step in the technology of the abortion debate. The people on the pro-abortion side denigrated it and called me a liar and all kinds of things. And I kept saying, well, look, if you don't believe me, do it yourself. Take an ultrasound machine, and while you're doing an abortion, just run a tape and show me what you get. I'll believe you. Dr. Bernard Nathanson became pro-life and Christian. He produced a little video called The Silent Scream, and it showed the horror of what abortion really does to human babies. 
It's similar to what the Nazis did. A saline abortion burns a baby to death. A DNC is dismemberment, pulling the little arms and the little legs apart piece by piece. Yes, babies in the womb feel pain. In fact, in the silent scream, it shows the instrument going in and jabbing the little baby, and the little baby recoils from it, and its little mouth opens like it's screaming. Dr. Nathans, I've got a personal question for you. Is it true that you aborted your own child? Yes. How did you feel about that? Didn't feel at all. How do you feel about it now? It was probably the most heinous crime imaginable. So have you really repented over your crime? Well, I, as you probably know, I was baptized here in New York, and those sins, obviously that was a mortal sin, a terrible sin, those sins have been washed away. Well, Dr. Nathanson, you were part of the deception to change our nation, and you fed the media misinformation, which they went along with. And I wonder if we could straighten out the record today. How important are the biased words like anti-abortion instead of pro-life or pro-choice instead of pro-abortion? If you use certain terms in the debate and the other side allows you to use them, the debate is over. For example, if you are on the pro-abortion side, on the left liberal side, you will call that euthanasia. The word euthanasia in Greek, it means good death. So if you start arguing euthanasia instead of calling it what it really is, which is physician-assisted suicide or killing of inconvenient people, you're going to lose the debate if you allow the other side to use that term. And I've been pleading with pro-life audiences around the country to use the terms which are accurate and descriptive and not euphemistic. Would it be pro-death as opposed to pro-life? Yeah, absolutely. You mean the act of killing? Oh, yeah. Just call it act of killing. Okay. It's so biased in the media to call pro-lifers anti-abortion. Give me a break. Or anti-choice. Yeah, well, anti-choice is ridiculous. I mean, I don't know if you all saw it in the New York Times, but finally, one pro-abortionist who heads a coalition of 200 abortion clinics admitted publicly to the press that he had lied about how many of these late, very late infanticides were being done. Now, I'm, I'm speaking of what you and the press call partial birth abortion. Now, these are not abortions. You must understand that. Anything obstetrically that occurs after the 20th week is not an abortion. What is it's it? It's a premature delivery. So what I have gone around the country again pleading for is let's call it what it is. This is an induced preterm delivery followed by an infanticide. If you start talking in terms of abortion for this procedure, you lose the game yeah. because then you're in their country. Right. And they say, oh, no, abortion's got to be legal. and blah. But if you don't call it an abortion but call it what it really is, infanticide, a preterm delivery and infanticide, you're going to win the argument. Everybody shrinks from that. The words are so important, and that's why the media plays such a major role in this struggle for life. It's the media, but we, we pro-lifers have played the game yeah. for them. We have all been talking partial birth right. abortion. Well, there's no such thing. Because they're partially born. No, they're not partially. They're totally born. I mean, you've got a piece of the head still within the canal. The entire body is out. 
after all intents and purposes, this is a delivery, but you can't call it an abortion in any case because it's after 20 weeks, and he admitted they're all done after 20 weeks. At what point in a baby's life can they really distinguish between different kinds of music? If you honk an automobile horn on the abdomen of a woman who's six months pregnant and have an electronic monitor on her, the baby's heart rate will jump. If you honk it a second time, a minute later, it'll jump a little less. And the third time, if you honk it a minute later, it won't jump at all. <laughs> so the baby really <laughs> knows how to learn in, in the uterus. Dr. Bernard Nathanson's clinic murdered 75,000 babies, and he personally killed, aborted his own son. But he received Christ's forgiveness and became a follower of Jesus Christ before he died. If he can be forgiven, and he was... All of those who have had an abortion can also be forgiven. Forgiveness is a prayer away. Confession and forgiveness are totally liberating. But some people still say it's a woman's choice. It's a right to her privacy. Mark Davis is the host of the radio program, The Mark Davis Show. One caller to Mark Davis's radio program said that he would fight to keep abortion legal in his state because it's a woman's right to privacy which is a made-up term, not in the Constitution or any founding document. Because of privacy and woman and her doctor, all of those ghoulish pro-choice index cards. And I asked him, I said, sir, the distinctly created human life, the unique human life thus created, which is not a part of the mom, it's not her vital organ, it's not a clump of cells, does that mean nothing to you? And he paused for a minute. He said, well, it it is a bit of an intellectual conflict. So all of you who are pro-choice, think about this. He said, it's a quandary. And I said, well, let me free you from that. Stop it. Stop being cavalier about that human life. Stop pretending it doesn't exist. When you accept what that newly created life is, then you are brought face to face with the ghoulishness of your pro-choice view. If after that you just don't care, do not believe that distinctly created human life is deserving of protection under law. Because at least then you're being honest with me. Like woman and her doctor, like those are the only parties involved in this controversy, or privacy, privacy, I can't set up a meth lab in my shed. No, officer, you can't see that. I think you got a meth lab in there. No, you can't look at that because privacy, if I'm abusing a child, if I've got somebody chained in the basement, privacy goes out the window. So don't even do privacy on the notion of taking the life of an unborn child. So for the pro-choicers, I am going to require a certain amount of honesty. You have to understand the consequences of what you are saying and of what you believe. Radio host Mark Davis makes a compelling case for just being honest about what abortion really is. If you try to hide what abortion is, which is killing a baby, with euphemisms like, oh, it's a woman's choice, privacy, or terminating a pregnancy, or it's just a clump of cells, then you are not being honest. Scientifically, we know it is a baby. If you want to be honest, just say it. I want to kill a live baby. Murder should be against the law. Period. I am pro-life. I'm on the side of the woman. I want the woman to live. If she's going to die, then absolutely. I believe that even at the first trimester, that is a life deserves the protection of law. Why don't you? 
because it's not a person. So that's what led me to ask you when personhood kicks in, and you said birth. I define personhood, not right. just being birth, but also in a grander sense of right. ability to receive and send out information. Even babies have that ability. But you know that abortion rights are not in the Constitution. Something does not become a constitutional right just because you are passionate about it. Roe v. Wade shouldn't be overturned because I'm pro-life or because anybody's pro-life. It should be overturned because... The right to abortion is not in the Constitution. He said, do you believe that there's no right to privacy in the Constitution? And that's exactly what I believe, because there's not. There's no absolute right to privacy in the Constitution. If you've got somebody chained in the basement, you have no right to privacy. If you're abusing someone, you know, behind the front door of your house, you have no right to privacy. So privacy was always a sham, but the notion that there was ever a constitutional right to privacy was a lie on its face. Mark Davis is right. There's never been a right to privacy to justify abortion in our Constitution. But it was a lie since the 1973 U.S. Supreme Court made up that so-called right. But what is in the Constitution is the right to life. From our founding as a nation until that Supreme Court decision in 73, every state had laws against abortion. Another big lie, a huge lie, made up by the Supreme Court was that prayer and Bible reading in the public schools were unconstitutional. For 355 years, schools prayed and read the Bible in school. That taught that there are absolute rights and wrongs. Taking God's word out of schools allowed the secular humanists to exchange the truth of God for a lie. And as Romans 1 says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts and delusions. So without absolute moral values, sin becomes just a choice, a personal choice. But what we've discovered is that immorality leads to unlimited destructive lusts that lead to promiscuity and pregnancy. So to solve the pregnancy problem, abortion became simply birth control. But killing a baby doesn't simply undo a pregnancy. Our guest is Carol Everett. Carol Everett, please give the listeners a bit of your background. Well, I ran abortion clinics and the market was the girls, 13 to 18. We actually wanted three to five pregnancy terminations from her during the ages of 13 and 18. And so we had to break down the natural modesty, get them to laugh at their parents and their values, separate them from their parents, break down the natural modesty. And in order to do that, we did sex education in the schools. And once they laughed with us about about their parents. We had the meeting out of our hands. We were the experts. We showed them pornography to break down the natural modesty. We actually used little books with nude models of six and seven-year-olds and diagrams. We told them that sex was safe outside of marriage, and since their parents wouldn't help them become safely sexually active, we would. So come in and we'd give them birth control pills. And Jerry, the sad thing is we prescribed a low-dose birth control pill that we knew she would get pregnant on. Mm. What I just told you is we prescribed a low-dose birth control pill with a high rate pregnancy designed to be taken accurately at the same time every day knowing full well no teen does anything at the same time every day she would become sexually active the sexual activity would increase and because the pill didn't work she would come back to us pregnant we used to put the kids in a circle go around the room and say okay what do your parents say to call your private parts say okay boys this is what you have girls this is what you have don't be ashamed you'd look out on the playground they were sharing there they were breaking down the natural modesty what in the world do we have to do to understand that 
abstinence still works. It says kids don't have sex, and here's why. I'm just trying to think of how a parent would feel knowing that their little girl came home and she's pregnant. And if you trace it back, it goes back to somebody teaching sex ed at their local school. They would all be furious, but they don't know, and that's the problem. Very few parents really sit down and put the pieces together. Sex education sells abortions. I have had an abortion. God uses people like me for those people listening to us to say we do not want to hang our heads in shame. Jesus Christ died on the cross for this sin too, and because of that, we can be free and we can educate others as to what's happening. If you ask the average parent with a child in public school, does your school teach sex ed? They might say, no, there's no class about sex ed in my school because it's been integrated throughout all the subject areas from health to science to home ec to language arts, PE, social studies, integrated so it's much harder to identify, and that's clever on the part of educators to hide it so they can't really point to a sex ed class. Okay, Carol, what changed you? Well, I think there's only one thing that can change someone as far gone as I was, and that's Jesus Christ. But how? My life began to change, and I started deal with the sin, with the 35,000 abortions, and praying First John 1, 9, if you confess and repent, he is faithful and just to forgive, and the, I'm still in process. I'm a 21-year-old Christian, and he's still working on me. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's beautiful, yeah. Carol. Our guest has been the fascinating Carol Everett. The problem is not teenage pregnancy and disease, but it's a moral and it's a spiritual issue. Exactly. Jesus said, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. People want to sin and feel no guilt. So getting rid of absolute values accommodates what their wicked hearts want to do. God knows that the consequences of sin leads to suffering and sorrow and death and rejection of the truth that leads to eternal life. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, offers true freedom for all who confess their sins, repent, and receive His saving grace in faith. You can have that total freedom by turning to Christ now. That's right. All your sins forgiven because of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's past, present, and future sins covered by his blood. If you would like a CD copy of today's program, please ask for number 1788, The Diabolic Lie of Abortion, Part 1. That's number 1788, The Diabolic Lie of Abortion, Part 1. The CD also includes next week's program, Part 2. You can order a CD copy of this program from our website. Our website is issuesineducation.org. That's issuesineducation.org. Please give us a call at 928-776-0000. That's 928-776-0000. From Psalms 139, verse 13. For you, O Lord, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. For Issues in Education, this has been Bob and Jerry Boyd.